In business, you rarely hear the expression for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and, and there's, a, there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 weight loss. Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 weight loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to awaken180weightloss.com. Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of Between the Lines. On this podcast, you will hear about and from lesser-known Canadian authors and writers who, for whatever reason, have remained under the radar of traditional publishers and publishing houses. You will also hear from editors, literary agents, and publishers in the hopes of giving us all a better understanding of how it all works together. If it has something to do with writing or the writing process, you are going to hear a discussion about it here. I'm your host, Randy Lacey. I'm encouraging you to grab your bevy of choice, get comfy, and get ready to go between the lines. People come into writing in several different ways. For some, it was a teacher at school handing out a writing assignment, while for others, it may have been by reading and wondering if they might be able to write. Every writer has started their writing journey on a different path. Each writer's journey will be different, yet similar. But one thing all writers have in common is a different destination. Hello and welcome to a brand new season of Between the Lines. This episode is a break from what you got used to hearing in the first season, where each episode was primarily an interview with a writer of some sort. You're in for a treat this time, I would say. Uh, episode one of season two, where I'll be talking with Lorna Dennis and Lee Raven from Stabby Time Comics. Hello, Lorna. Hello, Lee. And welcome to Between the Lines. Thanks, Randy. Thanks for having us. It's my pleasure so far. If you both don't mind, I will turn the mic over to the two of you to give a brief bio of yourselves. Lorna, would you mind starting this off? Uh, hi, I'm Lorna Dennis. I'm a Canadian artist, originally from Toronto. Now I am working and living in the prairies. My traditional art mediums include printmaking, photo transfer, fiber arts, and acrylic. I like to work on colors. Colors are really kind of what I focus on. I've been influenced in the past by the colored landscapes of Northern Ontario, Perry Sound, Toronto, and now the Prairies, focusing on the relationship between people, place, identity, and memory. Branching out now into digital art, I work continuously weird hours uh, with my tablet in my office. I normally have a cat on my lap, tea in my hand, and a curse on my lips while I work to bring to life the tall tales written by my partner. And occasionally there is violence. Okay, 
Thank you, Lorna. Uh, Lee, how about you? Hi, I'm Lee Raven, and I'm a born storyteller. Uh, I've always loved stories, uh, starting when I was a little girl. There's always a story in the background, whether it's a book being read, actors on a screen. I love them all. My days are literally filled with writing stories, specifically tabletop role-playing adventures. Uh, I'm not a traditionally published author. I write custom campaigns for gamers at a digital table. And uh, those are my favorite, favorite stories. I have been a game master specifically with Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I've been playing for over 20 years, but uh, really in the last couple of years, specifically with the pandemic, I've taken my ability to write and craft stories to a whole new level. Crafting characters and a world for my players to interact with is my version of the best seat in the house for a movie. I never know what's going to happen next. Um, between my spouse and myself, there's a game every day of the week. And we both love that. I am okay being the game master for life. I actually prefer running games and telling stories to being a player. And late last year, Lorna turned to me and said, we should write a webcomic. I regret it so much. What she didn't realize is I have one speed and that's full steam ahead. The webcomic was really inspired by our joint love of Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop role-playing games. And it took all of my favorite elements and rolled them together. Comics, games, and the best seat in the house for a story. Wonderful. Because you won't have to illustrate it. Also true. (laughs) So, Stabby Time Comics. How did that originate or how did that, what was the concept behind that? You're laughing. Uh, Yes, Yes, laughing. So, I'll, I'll, I'll start. Yeah how I met my partner is he stabbed me in the face repeatedly with a sword. I was a Pez dispenser with a braid and uh, we both do uh, medieval rapier or fencing. Uh, That's, that's our big hobby. We love stabbing each other. And then I met Lorna. Uh, I have never been formally trained, but I have always uh, been fascinated with knives and knife fighting. Um, and I have always been rough and tumble with all of my friends. So when I met Lee and her partner and they offered to start training me in sword fighting, I went, absolutely. So when we decided we needed a name for our comics, we were throwing out different names for, for the company. And I jokingly said stabby time because that's what we call our training sessions is stabby time. Yeah, And it, it just stuck. Yeah. It was perfect. It encompasses who we are as people. It encompasses the kind of wit we like. We like very sharp wits. So we're hoping that by naming our company Stabby Time Comics, we will incorporate those things into our comics. Yeah. It makes perfect sense to me. Now, Lee, from what I know of you, because we've been friends for a little while now, Correct me if I'm wrong, and I probably am because it's been known to happen more than once. This is part of your SCA affiliation or love of, right? Yes. My partner and I met through the Society for Creative Anachronism in Alberta. And yeah, it was it was a quick courtship. And the next thing I know is I was moving across the country to the middle of nowhere. The way that we met... I think you were still single. You were still living in Alberta. And then uh, less than a month later, you were on your way to the other end of the prairies. 
I wasn't single. Actually, the day we met, I was on my way to meet him for a camping event where he stabbed me in the face. I mean, that's a pretty common thing in this house, stabbing people in the face. He tried to stab me all the time. You normally deserve it? Yes. Nine times out of ten, I do deserve it. I threatened to stab you, but how many times have I been sitting on your couch and you pull out your sword and you poke me in weird places? Okay, that's uh, for another podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be working and she'll just poke me in the ribs with the sword. And that's That's because you squeak. I don't squeak, unlike you. I admit nothing. You keep your hands to yourself. My hands are to myself. (laughs) All right, well, thanks for that uh, brief bio of well, all three of you, because Stabby Time Comics is an entity unto its own as well, right? right. It absolutely is. It is the love child of our twisted brains, of the two brain cells we have active at any given time. We're sharing at the moment. That's yes. why we're in each other's bubble. Is yeah, so we can share the brain cells. So I know that Lee teased me a little bit by saying that maybe there might be a room for a cameo of me in your comics. I'm not sure that would be safe. <laughs> You could be in either part of the comic. One ha- one part would be very safe. The other one, you know, open for interpretation. Well, There's spiders in the first episode in that one. I know. All right. Time to get right into the uh, interview, ladies. This will be for both of you. So you'll have to fight out who wants to answer first. No knives. The swords are in another room. Are they? Okay, good. <laughs> what do you fear most as a writer slash artist? Um, I fear being inadequate. Uh, as a writer, I'm always scared that my characters or my stories aren't enough for the people reading them or playing at my table. I have a similar fear. Um, I went to school for art, but I did not do digital art. I'm, I'm a traditional artist in many ways. So for that, I'm always terrified that my art isn't good enough, that people aren't connecting. But now that I'm moving into digital art, I find it very difficult to maintain the same level of commitment and, and the same connection with the medium itself. So, of course, I worry that that is translating uh, into it being subpar, it being not realistic enough, it being sloppy, because I find that you really don't have the same control with it. Uh, and that terrifies me as well. I'm a huge control freak when it comes to my art. Would you say that with digital art, it's really hard to grasp the concept of what you're trying to do as as in with traditional drawing, because you can get more lines and stuff into your traditional art than digital art? That's a hard question. Um, the nice thing about digital art is it's a lot easier to fix mistakes. Yeah. So I actually find it easier in some ways to have that control because, you know, I can get more lines into a space and then choose which one I actually want to keep. So I don't know. I, I, I think they both offer challenges just differently. Uh, were you done your answer for the most part? Yeah. Okay. How did you choose the the genre you create in or did it choose you? So for me, it kind of chose me. When I was in high school, I loved acrylic painting uh, and I loved oil paints, which I I still use. But when I got into university, I had to take a number of classes to introduce you to all the different mediums. And I fell in love with printmaking, which is my secondary medium traditionally. 
And it really just kind of chose me. It, it feels good. It feels like a natural extension. I find it very motivating. I love the process. Digital art I chose because it's the easy, it's, I shouldn't say the easiest, it is the best way to create a comic. So for the digital art, I chose it. For my more traditional mediums, they chose me. For me, I, I've always loved high fantasy, but I'm going to say that creating tabletop campaigns totally chose me. Before the pandemic, I was sitting at a D&D table and it was the worst game I'd ever experienced. 20 years and I, walk, I walked up away from that table cursing. And I just like, I said, I can run a better game. And my dear sweet tall person said, so run one. Uh, two years later, I do it professionally. Yeah. So well, it totally chose me. Would you agree or disagree with the following statement then? You could have the worst campaign ever written, but the GM or DM, however you want to call them, if they know how to do it well, it can still be good. Oh, true. 100%. True. Yes. Um, you can take that uh, and translate that to, to writing a novel or a poem or whatever. You can take the crappiest idea ever for uh, whatever you're doing, but it's all in the voice that it's being, you know, it's, it's to the master who's telling it. Yeah, absolutely. When, when I tell people that mm-hmm. I'm not just a writer, I'm a storyteller. Mm-hmm. It's, you you can write a story, but how you deliver it makes a difference. Well, it's like a comedian, right? You can tell a joke, and if you're not good with your timing or anything, it's not going to go anywhere. Exactly. Like, I remember in high school, I was in an advanced placement literature class, and everybody in the class had to memorize and perform uh, Hamlet's famous suicide speech. All right. Everybody did it differently everybody delivered a different version of that story from their perspective. So it's interesting. In high school, I had to rewrite that soliloquy into a different vernacular. So I chose 1970s. Ah, okay. So it can be the worst written story, but it's also up to the storyteller to determine how they're going to present it. And especially when you're sitting at at a table and you're not the only storyteller. Everybody at the table is telling their own perspective of a story. It's how you engage, how you interact with them and thinking on the fly. Yeah, absolutely. And even like, even if you look at the literary world, I mean, JK Rowling is the first example that comes to mind. She's not necessarily a great writer. She's really not, but her story is, um, I I don't want to say amazing because I have a lot of issues with it, but it's, it's captivating. It draws you in. It's the characters in the world. Exactly. So even though, like, if you actually look at the writing as a literary sample, it's very juvenile. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not just in in the... the... Can can we pick a different author? Uh, She's just the one that I have so quickly. Shauna McGuire. See, you you haven't read her, and I don't find her to be particularly juvenile. Nor do I find she's actually a good... Like, her writing is actually good as well as being an incredible storyteller yeah i chose jk rowling because she's not actually a great writer yeah and then like i'm i'm a little picky i don't really read the harry potter books harry who exactly (laughs) yeah sorry shameless plugging of somebody that i don't like anyways moving on (laughs) i really enjoyed her stories it's not until i became an adult and more politically and and socially aware that I, i found the problems with it but 
it is cap there's a reason it's sold so much it's because the story is captivating but the writing itself isn't particularly good that's yeah. what paul person says he loves reading fanfic in that universe oh yeah the, some of the harry potter fanfic is incredible some of it is incredibly weird <laughs> <laughs> that is an understatement there's some incredibly weird harry potter fan fiction out there uh, but some of it is incredible there is one Harry Potter fanfic. I, I am going to the, do this. It was one of the best things I've ever read. It was called The Naked Quidditch Match. And anybody listening to this, you need to go find this and read it because it is it's a, an epistolatory style fanfic, which is one of my favorite genres to read. And it is just so well written. And it's 100% a fanfic. And I loved it. You sound like you might like this, Lee. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't even know the author. Like, oh, yeah, I, I don't know any author. For yeah, the fanfiction no, no, no. But I read this thing like a decade ago. And it's just it stuck with me. The oh, sorry. title of that again was the naked Quidditch match. All right. Question number three, who started you on your writing or artistic journey? And if they were listening to this podcast, what would you say to them? My parents started me on my journey as a writer. My mother and my father are both accomplished writers. I have an aunt who's actually a published author. But uh, from the time I could sit up, I had a book in my hands and I've always loved stories. And if they were to listen to this, I would thank them for giving me a love of stories. Uh, One of my favorite memories even now, and I'm in my 30s, is my mother reading to me my favorite story. I will call my mom and ask her to read my favorite story to me. <laughs> uh, I did. Oh, yeah, no, she will. She'll, she'll go. We both have copies of the book, so I'll, I'll pull it because it's a picture book, and I'll pull it out, and I'll sit there, and I'll go, Mom, could you read me a story? And she will. But they were the ones that got me started on the journey, and anytime like, I would tell a story or I'd read a book out loud, they were my avid audience. So when I, when I hit high school and I started writing short stories, my mother read all of them. Sometimes she questioned what was going on in the six inches between my ears, but I'm pretty sure she still does. Less so. Less I so. wasn't going to go there. <laughs> my parents simply question every once in a while. I'll be like, hey, so random question. They'll be like, why? Why mm. is that the thought? Yeah, no, my parents don't question the things that go through my head. I mean, especially my father, because my father is warped and twisted and will call me up and go, Hey, I have a story idea and he'll give it to me and then he'll hang up the phone. And a couple days later, I'll send him a short story. And yeah. And he'll just go like, I don't even want to know how you came to that conclusion from what I said. <laughs> yeah. So same question to you, Lorna. Um, I don't actually know who got me started on my artistic journey. I, my dad really got me into the nerd aspect of everything. My dad's a giant nerd. He's been playing D&D since he was in high school, and I started playing when I was nine. But my artistic journey, God, I don't, my parents are all creators of something. You know, my dad, my stepdad's a gearhead. My dad works with his hands when he's not, like, actually working. Um, he's constantly doing renovations and stuff like that. My mom cooks. My stepmom's a painter, though she didn't come into my life until a little bit later after I'd already fallen in love with uh, art. I know who influenced me. I had a teacher in high school, um, Mr. Wilson, who was probably the best educator I've ever had, um, both as a human being and as an artist and as a student. And he was really great about 
pushing my boundaries uh, artistically. Have to throw that in there because he was a male teacher. Um, artistically pushing my boundaries and encouraging me and giving me ideas. And he's the one who really supported me when I decided I want to go to art school. And he told me, absolutely, you can do it. And if, if he's listening, I just want to say thank you. Yeah. Okay, great answer. So Lorna, who's your favorite artist? That's like asking me who my favorite child is. Really depends. I love Klimt. Uh, if we're going kind of more classic, uh, it's somebody kind of more contemporary. I love Christy Belcour, who's uh, a Métis artist. Yeah. I love Kent Monkman, who's an Indigenous artist. Who else? I like Jackson Pollock's work, but he was a giant man-child, so like I hesitate to talk about him. Lee Krasner, I love. She was uh, Pollock's wife and an accomplished artist on her own. Leonardo da Vinci. I don't know. There are so many. It depends kind of what I'm in the mood for. Uh, and then, of course, if we're talking about, like, co- it's hard to talk about, like, comics and not mention, you know, oh, my God, I'm blanking on his name. Oh, this is going Stanley? Well. Stanley wasn't an artist. He was a writer. I know. But, no, I'm thinking about he did, he was a pop artist who worked around the same time as Warhol, but he did pop art with comics. He redid comics. And I loved him redoing the stuff like I I loved watching him redo them because he really got into stenciling and stuff and then of course like some of my professors in university uh Sam Shasahabi was it's is an amazing artist whose work is incredibly political and I I love it I'll kind of I'll kind of find appreciation of just about anybody's style or content so we will ask you the same question who's your favorite author besides Tolkien yeah well <laughs> uh yeah, I'm I'm a huge Jair Tolkien fan. See, that's that's a hard one because it really depends on what I'm in the mood for, right? It's like picking a favorite child. Yeah. I quite enjoy Abigail Reynolds, Art Spiegelman. I really like him. Uh Stanley, of course. Mm-hmm. Frank Miller. Yeah, yeah, I like Frank Miller too. There's a uh one of my favorite authors, and she's a webcomic author, so she's she's the author and the artist is uh Leanne Krusick. Her her online name is Monkey, but she writes my favorite webcomic. Jane Austen. Okay. I'm gonna have to say my favorite author besides Tolkien is Jane Austen. Every once in a while I'll just read through her collected works. Is Charlotte Brown. She understood that the biggest thing, like issue is you know, people showing up unannounced. Oh, wait, you're an extrovert. You'd be fine with that. Yeah, yeah, I'm an extrovert. I'd be fine with that. And if you had been more of an extrovert and less of an introvert, we would have met months before we did. Yeah, I'm not just going to go into somebody's house randomly. This is actually a really good story. This is a story worth telling. So, yeah, favorite authors, Tolkien, Austin. Yeah, those are the big ones. Mongi, my favorite webcomic author. So I'm an extrovert. I am the extrovert that makes all other extroverts look like introverts. And Lorna is an introvert. Now I'm a social introvert. That's an oxymoron. Not, not necessarily, because a true introvert is simply somebody who recharges with time alone. And I like being around people, but my social battery is much shorter than some people. And when it runs out, I want to go home. Leave me alone. Yeah. My my spouse is a an introvert. He is my polar opposite. Where we live, yes, he's told. Are you making fun of my height again? Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. Where we live, I live right on a main street, and I have in my front window a pentagram. 
And every time Lorna would drive past my house with her husband, she would go, oh, I think a witch lives there. Well, yes, a witch lives here. And her husband would encourage her to go knock on the door and introduce herself. That started in February last year. Yeah. In August, we met when I walked into the library. She didn't meet me until August because she didn't knock on my door. Because a lot of people think it's creepy for a random person to knock on their door and be like, hi, you have a pentagram in your window. Let's be friends. And now that you know me, I didn't know that ahead of time. Well, now you know. I like people. I like making friends. Now I just have a key to your house. This is also true. But it's all about timing, right? So maybe February wasn't the time for you to meet. That's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. The nightmare still live next door. Oh, God. Yeah. See? Smarter than I look. Next question. What is the hardest thing you have ever tried to create? For, for myself, uh, as a writer, the hardest thing I've ever tried to create is the webcomic that uh, we are creating and publishing. I had to learn an all new style of writing, of communicating my writing. It was definitely out of my comfort zone and took a lot of research. But uh, it may have been the hardest thing for me to create, but it's also been the most rewarding. Okay. For me, uh, it's tied. My undergraduate thesis, which was a visual thesis because I was a fine arts major, and the webcomic. For different reasons, the thesis project was a very personal project. It was living with, or it was dealing with what it is like to live with a mental health issue. I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder after the first year of university, and it radically changed how I saw the world. So it, for that was very difficult because I wanted to make sure it communicated not just my experience, but the experience of those I know who also have anxiety disorders. And then the webcomic is difficult to create because I'm learning an entirely new medium on the fly. Uh, I've never worked in Procreate before. I've never drawn on a tablet before. So the whole process, I'm learning new things all the time. I learned something new last night and I was like, oh, that would have made the last 10 panels so much easier. <laughs> uh, we'll get into, I have some questions with regards to the webcomic itself. So a panther, plotter, or planster, which do you primarily adhere to in your creating? So that depends if I'm doing a one-off piece, especially uh, because I do a lot of abstraction in my piece. I'm a total panster. I create the, the first layers completely based on what I'm feeling, how it's going, what I'm listening to, what colors I'm feeling. And then from there, I create the rest of the piece. But if I'm doing something like the webcomic or something like my thesis project, I plan it out because it needs to have a cohesion to it that one-off pieces don't. And if I don't plan it, I can't guarantee that there's going to be cohesion. That being said, I'm probably more of a planster for those things because you also have to have a degree of flexibility and adaptability so that you're not tossing away a good idea because it doesn't fit into what your original plot was. True enough, but your characters, I'm sure, would some even in writing or whether it's a webcomic or just a regular comic though, your characters will dictate their own movements and, and, and whatnot. Is that not fair to say? You know what? I'm going to pass that over to Lee because I have very little to do with the actual writing of this particular thing. I am the artist primarily, not completely, but the writing is mostly Lee's territory. Yeah. All right. So Lee? I am a plotter through and through. So I've written out the entire outline for the first season of the webcomic. 
I've written the first 20 episodes. Yeah. All right. I've only seen the first four. I'm getting dirty looks from from Lorna at the moment. I haven't given her all 20 episodes because I don't want to overwhelm her. But I've also written the rough outlines for three more seasons after the first, uh, as well as every single character for that will be used in all the seasons. Yeah, all 42 of them. Yes. So I am, I'm very much a plotter. I, I look at the big picture, everything's fully outlined, but there's also room for change. So when I sit down and I write each scene, uh, each character, I go into it with a rough idea and then I pants it. Fair enough. What is going on around you when you create? Is there music or animals or some kind of background stimulation? I have Spotify playlists. Every single project I work on has its own unique playlist. I will spend several hours putting together uh, a music playlist and then that's all I listen to when I work on it. It just gets me in the mindset. There is a lot of folk music on every single one of those playlists. For me, I always have something on in the background. Um, My cat is normally in the studio with me um, because I've taken over one of the rooms in our house as my studio. It was supposed to be the office. It's now my office slash studio. So he has a bed in there and he hangs out. If I'm doing something that requires a lot of focus, uh, so I'm really trying to map something out or do the, the first pass at something I normally just have music but if I'm just kind of plotting away I quite often have um, either a podcast on or I listen to a lot of commentaries for movies and tv shows I've watched the entirety of the leverage tv show with commentary three or four times I actually know the commentary well enough that I can quote it while Lee is watching it like without the commentary and I also bought specifically the extended versions of The Lord of the Rings on DVD or on Blu-ray because they have four commentaries each. Okay. So that's quite a lot of material to listen to for hours and hours while I work. What has been the most rewarding part of the journey to become the writer, artist you want to be so far? So I have, I have two answers for this. I have the very flip whenever I finish something and I never have to look at it again, because as an artist, by the time I finish a piece, I've been staring at it for anywhere between 20 to 200 hours. And by that point, I just want to set it on fire. So that's always very rewarding when I get to stop looking at it. But overall, it's the continuation of the journey and continuing to grow as an artist and finding those new materials, those new processes, those new ideas that inspire me to keep creating. The most rewarding part of this journey being a writer is actually the webcomic. From the time I was 17, I wanted to write a webcomic and I turned 37 in two days. So 20 years later, I'm sitting with the person who's helped me realize my dream. I'm just trying to calculate in my mind. Were there web comics 20 years ago? Yes, there were. The first web comic I ever ever read was Sluggy Freelance. Okay. I was 17 years old and it had been going for a few years and I binged my way through it in about three days. They had the internet 20 years ago? Shut up. <laughs> I'd like to point out I'm also nine years older than Lorna. 
Oh, okay. And, uh, so I get to make fun of her being old all the time. And short. And short. you're taller than me. Yeah, by a couple of inches. Yeah. But, you know, for what she is in age above you would compensate for her height. You would think. Wow. It's, this is my life. People picking on me. Either I'm old or I'm short. My feeling, my feeling is screaming and okay. crying. First and foremost, how often do you pick on me? Okay, that's that's fair. Second of all, 42 characters. <laughs> Third of all, you also hit me with swords. Okay, fine. And really, when have I ever picked on you, Lee? You can't see the dirty look I'm giving you right now, Randy. All right, so now more specifically, let's move on to uh, uh, stuff regarding the webcomic. Why a webcomic and uh, whose idea was it? Okay, so the webcomic idea was mine, or the idea of doing one was mine. We, Lee had gotten me into a number of webcomics, and knowing she's a writer and I'm an artist, I turned to her uh, in late, uh, I guess beginning of November. November 5th. November 5th, and I said, hey, we should do a, a webcomic. And I think part of the reason we chose to do the webcomic is because it's so accessible, okay. and it's a medium that really doesn't get enough love as both an artist and as a writer. Yeah. Well, and in today's society with technology and everything, digital media, uh, publishing novels, stories, uh, literary arts online is becoming a lot easier. Publishing web comics is a lot easier than publishing a comic in a traditional sense or a graphic novel. And you also look at it from a cost perspective. You know, it's it's a lot easier for us to get it out there and to share what we're passionate about by doing it online through webcomic. I read a lot of webcomics. Okay. And prior to Lorna turning to me and saying, hey, we should do a webcomic. I I have four different webcomic apps. Plus, I read a whole bunch of websites that have webcomics uh, looking for group and uh, least I could do. Uh, as a great example, one of my uh, my favorite author-artist duos out there. I really like the digital platform for releasing the art because it can be done on a, a monthly or a bi-weekly basis. And my cat just sniffed the laptop and jumped a mile. <laughs> uh, Web comics and, and online publishing is is kind of where where it was for us. I mean, we both love reading web comics and we figured let's put one out ourselves. So walk me through the process of putting together a web comic. First an idiot opens their mouth and says, let's do this. And then the other idiot says, yeah, let's, and we're going to do it in three months. And so no, no formal education, just. I mean, outside of me being an artist and Lee being a writer, we didn't really have any knowledge of how to how to do a web comic. I mean, I've read traditional comics all my life and now web comics. So our first step was to come up with an idea. Yeah, that was our first thing. And that um, wasn't hard. It wasn't. And then the nice thing, well, I said earlier that Lee is in charge of writing mostly, and, and mostly that's 100% true, but the actual story elements were a group, a, a joint decision, and every kind of big thing, every big story plot, we agree on together. We don't always agree. No. There have been certain things that we have been very, have very different opinions on, but the overall arc of where everything is going 
is always agreed upon. Yeah. Okay. It's the details Lee does. Lee, Lee takes the, yes, this person is going to fall, I, I don't know, fall in love. Her end goal is to buy a tree and give it its own life. I don't know. She takes that and turns it into an actual full story. All right. So you might have actually uh, answered why you get poked a lot with her sword. Yes. I mean, yeah. Draw faster. I, I will kill you. <laughs> yeah, at one, point, at one point she was like, hey, so we have 51 unique characters. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> so the idea behind, well, any comic I, I would imagine is to say more using less. Yes. And allowing the art to bring the the words to a bigger picture. I would say so. I mean, the the words, the words are there for the dialogue. Everything else is visual. Yeah. Right. So, one of the things that I had to learn when uh, we started on this was actually how to do script writing and give up environmental control to the artist. Okay. If, if there was something very specific I wanted uh, portrayed in a panel, I, I'd communicate it. But for the most part, it's here's 15 panels. This is the general action go. Like you do what you need to do. Uh, I, I give Lorna all artistic license for that. But the things like the, the characters and how they look and how they act, we agreed on together. Yeah. Okay. Like, at the beginning, we sat down and we're like, okay, who are the main characters? What are they like? What are their personalities? And we we created them as a unit. So in the comic, there are six main, there's one main protagonist, but there's really six characters this revolves around because it's inspired by Dungeons and Dragons. It's called Dice and Desire. And the the six people that sit at that gaming table that it's about each one it has an element of of each of us in it uh so we wanted to bring ourselves to life within the comic uh the main protagonist is a a young school teacher you know somebody who's starting out in the professional world like both of us at one point we we're young professionals. I'm still a young professional. Let's be real. I haven't worked in my field yet. Yeah, I'm I'm almost middle-aged. I'm middle-aged. Yes. Uh, you know, there's uh, a character that is Indigenous. I'm an Indigenous woman. There's somebody a, who loves games. There are cats. Yes, there's, there's somebody who loves games and cats. There is somebody who is in the Canadian military. And while we are not service members, we are spouses. So, you know, military life is something that we live and deal with every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not only inspired with us, but it's also the people we know and love. I mean, it's the players we've played with for years. It's our family. It's the, the main theme of the comic is really those relationships. You have been listening to part one of my two-part interview with Lorna Dennis and Lee Raven from Stabby Time Comics. Be sure to catch the second part of this interview on the next episode, which will air in two weeks. 
in future episodes, I will not only be speaking with writers and authors, but with editors, literary agents, and publishers. If you like what you heard, click the subscribe button to be notified of new episodes and content. Be sure to visit me at www.therandylacy.ca. Thanks for your time and ears. Tune in, be inspired, and write on. In business, you rarely hear the expression, for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and, and there's, a, there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 Weight Loss. Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 weight loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to awaken180weightloss.com.